Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, November 14th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So by the time this episode airs, with any luck, I'm going to be in Hanover, New Hampshire. I'm doing a little tour this week of the East Coast and meeting with schools and, and also hopefully going to catch up with a bunch of Clear Admit team members. So uh, yeah, we'll see how that, that all goes. But what are th- what's going on on your end and, and in terms of, uh, you know, kind of application news and things? Yeah, yeah. Safe travels um, this week, Graham. <laughs> but um, basically, this upcoming week is reasonably quiet in terms of specific deadlines. We've got INSEAD's got a round two deadline, um, for example. But um, sc- schools are continuing to sort of release interview invites. Um, some final decisions are coming out, and these are f- from schools that don't have sort of specific release dates for final decisions, like Cornell, um, for example, has released some um, final decisions last week. Um, so we'll see more of that type of activity. Haas has started to get more interview invites out. Um, we, we're seeing more sort of action coming out of Colombia for early decision decisions um, and so on and so forth. So there's quite a lot of activity without there being any specific sort of official deadlines. Those will all roll around the beginning of, of December for sure. Yeah, and I think last week was the end of the Wharton TBD interviews. So yeah, so everything's, we're kind of moving from interview phase into schools hunkering down, sitting in committee, coming up with <laughs> decisions, which they're going to deliver for the most part in December. When we right. talk about round one. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, lots to come. Uh, over on the website, we continue to roll out those real humans uh, pieces, which profile kind of current MBA students at these top programs. And so we did real humans for INSEAD. Uh, Berkeley Haas and Boston College Carroll. So three great pieces. I think there are a total of like 18 students profiled across those three pieces. So definitely worth checking out if you're applying to those schools. We also got a chance to catch up and do an interview with Christine Murray, who's the new head of career services at Georgetown McDonough. That's kind of an interesting school to work for, I would think, just because you know, they're kind of in the backyard of, um, well, you know, Amazon's moved their kind of East Coast, where they've set up East Coast headquarters in that region. And so I, I think it's kind of an interesting role for her. Um, but yeah. in any event, check out that interview if you're interested. Uh, we also did a piece on a couple of veterans. So if you're a military fo- person tuned in, um, this is about veterans pivoting careers at Stern. And basically, we caught up with two different, um, you know, vets. Uh, one is a Marine Corps infantry officer who had been a platoon commander and then instructor. And um, he basically t- transitioned to consulting. And one of the things that I, I didn't know about this, but Stern has this special program where you can start, if you're a military officer, you can actually start in July, um, I guess about at least a few weeks, if not maybe even a month before your classmates. They have this thing called the, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it's called the Fertita Veterans Program. And it's just a special thing to kind of, I guess, help ease that transition from military into the classroom and stuff and get everybody up to speed. So this guy, um, who is the Marine Corps guy, did that at Stern. And the other person that we profiled was uh, a West Point grad who ended up being a commanding officer for an airborne artillery battery in Germany. Um, and then is also, you know, now at Stern and is also looking to get into consulting. So you know, it seems like consulting is a really common landing pad place for, for vets, but just interesting to, to read about this stuff. Yeah, and consulting makes perfect sense, right, in terms of getting that sort of business experience under their belt post-MBA, 
to then go off and a lot of them ultimately end up in big time operations roles um, yeah, um, yeah. post consulting so absolutely fantastic yep and so you know just head over to the site if you want to read more about that the last thing that we covered on the site that i wanted to call everyone's attention to is the kellogg um, uh, employment report so they published the stats for the class that just graduated in the spring of 22 and alex as usual i'll just give you the numbers and would love to get your take and then we can obviously move into the candidates that you've picked out for this week's show um, but as far as Kellogg employment figures go, they had 99% of the class getting offers, job offers within three months of graduation, and 97% of those folks had already actually accepted. Um, so those are pretty great numbers there. The median salary was $165,000 a year, which is $15,000 more than last year's median salary. And the median signing bonus for those who got signing bonuses was $30,000. As far as where people went um, with respect to industries, consulting saw 40% of the class land jobs in that domain. So that's, that's big. Um, technology, 21%. Financial services, 16%. CPG, 10%. And healthcare, 4%. And then when we talk about kind of regions, the Midwest led the way with 32%. The West Coast, 30%. East Coast, 22% and the South 11%, and I should also mention about 5% of their graduates went overseas. So Alex, what do you think of these numbers? Yeah, numbers are impressive. I mean, as they are across the M7, that 40% consulting number seems quite high, um, but we know Kellogg is, is renowned for its sort of preparation for, for a consulting career. 21% tech, I think you told me before we came on air, is a little bit of a drop. That's probably a good thing um, in the current tech climate, because there might be folks, sadly, that got tech offers um, that are now getting um, um, sort of frozen out a little bit. I mean, Facebook's just announced a huge um, round of layoffs. We know Twitter is going crazy right now. <laughs> yes. um, I even, you know, Twitter might even ultimately end up in bankruptcy the way it's being run at this point. So there's just, there is a lot of problems with the tech sector right now. It's, it's, quite short term it's come on very very quickly but i think this is something that um mba career uh, placement offices are probably going to have to have a keen eye on um we we've we've sort of gone through the last maybe 10 years of seeing significant growth in the tech sector year on year mm -hmm. um, and that's come to a screeching halt yeah, and you're right. That number was 26% going into tech last year at Kellogg, and so yeah. it's down down to 21. The thing, one thing that that I worry about is, um, you know, consulting 40%. That that is a number that you just rarely would see, and that's probably you know in part why the median salaries are so high, et cetera. But I have to wonder if we do head into a recession, um, which you know, I mean, you look at the stock market of late, it would suggest that <laughs> things are heading south a bit, but they kind of keep going back and forth, right? But I guess one of the things I worry about is. I, let me just stop you there, Graham. We're, we're, we might head into a global depression. Right. And so, but, but so. I don't care if the metrics say it so qualifies us as a recession now or not. We are in a recession. It's a food crisis, it's an yeah. energy crisis, um, it's a war crisis, it's a cluster F, whatever <laughs> the yeah. right thing is. Right now, in terms of how the world is being run, I mean, it's, yeah. it's horrifying for lots of people. So, so, so yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm just 
qualifying that 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 idea. <laughs> Are we in a recession? Or I think we're, let's just call it a recession. So so, but we even with that said, normally consulting firms don't hire a ton once we get into you know in, into a recession, right? So so that's the only thing I worry about. Is schools seem to have shifted. We see this across the board, right? Schools doing more and more placements in consulting. But the bottom might fall out of that as well a little bit, right? So, yeah. our, you know, so we'll have to see what happens there. But we've seen it before, you know, where consulting hiring really, you know, falls off if the businesses are cutting back, right? So, anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, stay tuned. <laughs> but I do, I do want to reiterate. I think, yeah, those numbers from Kellogg are pretty fantastic, and you know, amazing yeah. starting yeah, yeah. salaries, all that stuff. Yeah, all so. the M seven, <laughs> they. Up until this point, they, they've done a terrific job, yeah. you know, in terms of career, career management, getting folks into these $165,000 median salary positions. But I would be a little bit nervous yeah. going forward. <laughs> yeah. So uh, last thing, this Wednesday, we're doing an event for college students. If you are in college and thinking about getting an MBA someday, we're sitting down to talk deferred enrollment. Uh, I'm going to be emceeing the event. It's this Wednesday, November 16th at noon Eastern, and I'm going to be joined with admis by admissions representatives from Wharton, Columbia, MIT, UVA, Tepper, Yale, Berkeley, and Chicago Booth. So that'll be a lot of fun. You can sign up at bit.ly forward slash defer MBA if you are a younger listener thinking about business school. So um, obviously, if you ever have questions, you can always email Alex and myself by writing to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. Uh, Alex, any other items to get into before we talk candidacies? Now let's kick on. All right, so this is wiretaps candidate number one. So this is a candidate that is gonna be applying next fall to start the fall after. And she has 14 schools on the target list and they range from Arizona State uh, to Berkeley, Columbia, Duke, Harvard, INSEAD, Michigan, MIT, Kellogg, NYU, Stanford, Booth, Penn, and Yale. Um, again, not wanting to start business school till 24. This candidate has been working in healthcare. Um, she's actually a, a medical doctor in Nigeria with four years in clinical medicine and health insurance. And she's done a lot of different things. We'll get into that in a moment, but she wants to pivot into consulting. And she's looking at companies like Bain, BCG, and McKinsey to do that with. Uh, again, four years of experience based in Lagos, Nigeria. And I guess we don't have a GPA or a test score. And the reason we don't have a test score is because she hasn't taken it yet. She's got plenty of time. Um, but the GPA is interesting. I'm going to let you talk about that because you had some back and forth <laughs> with her, Alex. But what do you make of this candidacy? It's kind of interesting to see a medical doctor applying um, from Nigeria, female, interesting goals that... Um, she did explain fit with what she's been doing. Like she's kind of played a little bit of a consulting role in some of her work in, in the insurance space. And, and so she wants to kind of apply that trade with a big time consulting firm. But what do you make of this candidacy, Alex? Yeah, I really like this candidate. Um, I'm not sure if she's a medical doctor or she works in healthcare in some kind of strategy role. She is a qualified MD. I do know that. Um, but that's just a little bit unclear to me. But you know, may, maybe you, you can respond to that once I finish, once you've sort of deciphered a little bit of what she wrote. But what I really like about her is, she, you know, her impact in her organization through 
the pandemic, she's sort of involved in sort of um, implementing strategies that have improved the quality of healthcare delivery and improved healthcare coverage in Nigeria. That's a, a statement that she, she made. So I really love this. Um, now, um, she's saying that her MD, um, you know, she didn't have a GPA from the MD. Um, but one would assume as a qualified medical doctor, you've gone through some rigorous academic training. So things like seeking out the class rank um, and so on and so forth is, 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 is going to allow for some relative measure um, which, which could be appropriate. In terms of the GMAT, it's going to be really, really super important for this candidate to get a great GMAT score. Yeah. I'm talking in the 700s. And I say that because I think this candidate should be targeting the top healthcare programs, MBA programs in the United States. So we're talking, you know, the likes of Wharton, um, the likes of Kellogg, the likes of Duke, and so on and so forth, and maybe even take a punt at Harvard and or Stanford, depending on where they are, um, and with, with sort of getting ready for round one. So they need to um, prepare for the GMAT and take it such that, that they have enough time for a retake if they're not hitting the median scores for these elite programs. Um, now, you know, in terms of overall application strategy, sure, she can select one or two programs out of the top 16. I mean, I've, I've list, uh, listed Duke as an, as an example, but maybe Ross is another great example, um, and maybe uh, one or two more. One or two out of the M7. Those are the programs she should be targeting um, in round one and get geared up for round one. Um, she has right now 14 schools on a list, but I'm hopeful that she doesn't need to be targeting all these 14 schools, Greg. Yeah, I agree. She's going to need to narrow down the list and, and your advice there is, is perfect. I, I guess, you know, you raised a really interesting point about whether she's practicing as a physician or not. And, and I think, you know, now reading it closely, it's unclear, right? Because she said four years in clinical medicine yeah. and health insurance. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, but what is fascinating is that she mentioned she designed and implemented strategies to improve quality healthcare delivery, like you were saying. So She's, um, and it was doing that stuff that made her realize about, you know, this kind of interest in consulting and yeah, I mean, this is, this person kind of screams, you know, Wharton healthcare management program, yeah. or one of these types yeah. of programs that's geared towards that stuff. So, um, I agree though, that to me, she did ask a question, which was, are there any tips on how to showcase her analytical kind of quant readiness? And to me, it's, you know, get a great score on the G on the GMAT quant. That would be number one. I think if she wanted to, she could do a, an MBA math or. Yeah you know, HBS core, but, um, I mean, I, I would focus on the test first. Yeah. That would be my advice. I mean, she, she could really ace that test and especially the quant side, really, really important. But if she wanted to do MBA math or HBS core, that, that'd do two things for her. One is it'll help ease her into a rigorous, um, MBA experience in terms of that first quarter or whatever. But it'll also signal to the adcom that she's got the self-awareness to recognize that maybe this, this will help yeah. her illustrate and show that she does have those analytical chops. I mean, I got to think if you're a medical doctor, you, you've got analytical chops, Craig. So, yeah. so well, um, she said, I'm, I'm hoping she, the next time I go see a doctor, they know how to add up, for example. Yeah. But, um, but, but yeah, no, I, I, I think she's going to be able to demonstrate it, but she can take these additional actions um, would, would help. Her. And the nice thing is she's looking at round one next season, not round two this season. Right, exactly. Now she did say, she said, my six-year medical school did not use GPA grading system, just pass or fail. 
Now, she didn't specify, though, <laughs> whether she passed or failed, but I'm assuming she passed because she has the degree, right? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I do think, you know, she must have a transcript. And, you know, she was saying, I mean, yeah, this is tricky. I would almost, this would be an interesting question. I would first talk to the registrar at her school and see if they do have any kind of class rank. And yeah. if not, I would ask this question just directly to an admissions team, like get your transcript, send it across to them and say, hey, you know, this medical school doesn't have grades. What do I do? What's, what do you need from me? And the school might say, look, it's enough for us to see the different courses you took and to know that you passed them. Um, but I, yeah, it's still the GMAT will be very reassuring yeah. in this case. <laughs> um, all right. So I, yeah, I think she's going to do well. And I would, I agree with you, maybe like six schools in round one and then see where the chips fall. You know, I don't think she needs to apply to 14 schools. So right. <laughs> we'll go from there. All right, I want to thank her for sharing her profile on the site. And uh, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry that you selected, Alex. And this candidate is looking to start next fall. Uh, they're going to be applying in the second round here coming up. And they have nine schools on the target list. And those schools are Tuck, Duke, LBS, Michigan, UCLA, UNC, UT Austin, UVA and Yale. This person's been working in a family business in India. Um, they've got four years of work experience and they want to get into consulting, but also potentially sticking, you know, with kind of the family business stuff as well. Uh, I, I'm guessing that they want to kind of stay in the U.S. It says here, stay in the U.S. after business school and then maybe return to India. Presumably that would make sense with the kind of do some consulting, then go back to the family business or something. The GMAT score is a 710. The GPA is a perfect 4.0, and this candidate mentions that um, she went to one of the top schools in India, but it was non-engineering. She graduated at the top of her class. That uh, that would explain the 4.0. <laughs> and then, you know, mentioned she's been working in the family business, has helped scale the business in terms of revenue, and has a lot of community service, um, more than 500 hours in the last several years, and um, very robust kind of extracurriculars from the university as well. But she is concerned about a couple of things, Alex, and I wanted to get your take on these when you kind of talk through her candidacy. The first thing she's concerned about is her GMAT score of 710. And she's also wondering about round two and whether, you know, she's kind of an overrepresented majority, right, given that she's Indian. But she's also female, so she just wants to get a handle on whether that makes any difference and where she kind of falls here. I'm going to ask you a question, Graham. Yep. If she had a GMAT of 740, and was applying in round one with the other data that we know about her, what schools should she be targeting? I would say M7, you right. know, like the very top schools. Yeah. Yeah. So, so th th this is the little bit of the dilemma, I think. Um, her GMAT 710, which in, in of itself is actually a very good score. It just so happens it's 20 points below the median of the very top programs. Um, so, so that's a little bit of a challenge. It's a little bit surprising. She's a 4.0 student um, um, out, of, out of a top, top, top university. So she's obviously very, very smart. So one question I would have for this candidate is, is there any room to improve that GMAT score? And then the second question I'd have for this candidate is, is there any rush to be in business school this season, given that she's working for a family business? Um, so could she delay going to business school, come back with a higher GMAT score in round one of next season and potentially then give her a different level of opportunity for the quality of business school 
that she ultimately attends. Now, I say all that in the context of there's still no reason not to apply this season in round two, which is her initial intent, but only apply again to those top schools such that if she's not successful, um, she comes back as a reapplicant. Um, so, um, so, so that's one one thing I would consider. She might come back and say, "Well, actually, I need to go to business school this year because of some issues with the family business, and that's why I'm looking at business school now, and so on and so forth." Which is perfectly fine. And then, if that is the case, if this year is the time that she needs to start business school in a, in a more ideal world, then she's got to spread her um, spread her list of target schools. Um, out of just the M7 to the top 16 and, and, and a little bit further. There is, there is a lot to like about this candidate, Graham. I'm just a little bit queasy on that GMAT score being a little bit lower. Yeah. And we know as an overrepresented candidate, even though she's female and there's, there's, you know, there's some challenges that um, um, female candidates face um, that, that certainly can sort of make her a little bit more attractive than her, her male counterpart. But even as a female can, uh, candidate, she still would fit into that overrepresented bucket to some extent, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, I, the thing I was wondering is we don't know much about her undergrad other than that it's not engineering and that she has a perfect, you know, GPA. And so one of the things I wondered is, you know, what's the quantitative record show on yeah. her transcript? Because yeah. if it turns out that she was like an econ major and has a bunch of quantitative courses and, you know, then maybe that 710 doesn't seem... Um, so bad, or I mean, obviously, seven ten is a great score, as you point out, right? But in terms of where it fits yeah. with the averages of these top schools, so yeah, I would want to know more about her percentiles on the test and, and things like that. I guess one of the questions I had for you though is, let's say she does apply, like you're saying in round two. I'm hearing you say maybe aim at the top end of the group if she doesn't have to go next fall, like if she could afford to wait. Correct. So you would say apply to yeah. some of the better, the sort of top schools on the list here, and then see where the chips fall. And if you don't get in, reapply in round one with maybe a better GMAT score. Um, but yeah. if she were to say she has to go, then I, I think, you know, applying to a range of schools would make sense because, you know, if she only looks at the talks and Yales, uh, you know, on the list here, these kind of top, you know, the higher ranking schools on the list, she could end up being, you know, without a spot or something, right? So she's got to, yeah. yeah. And, and my, my strategy for that, um, a, a key part of that is if she thinks there's room for improvement on that GMAT score. Because obviously there's also a cost to delaying going to business school for a year, right? So, so the benefit of delaying is potentially getting into a better school and having a better experience. The cost of delaying is that one year, right. um, you know, delay to whatever the pivot and change of career is as a result of business yeah. school. So it's not not a, not a straightforward um, um, argument. She, if she thinks there's room for improvement on that GMAT, then there might be an argument to, to suggest applying round two only to the top schools, come back as a reapplicant in round one next season if you're not successful. Yeah, okay. So yeah. I think, you know, obviously we don't know much, you know, it, I, there, there's more to know here about the types of community service, the type of family business, et cetera. So, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if she thinks she needs to go in the fall, um, just, you know, make sure she makes a compelling case with her essays, et cetera, in round two and, and see where the chips fall. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, very interesting candidacy. And I, I am torn because on the one hand, um, you know, 
Indian female non-engineer. It, that, there's not that many of those in the pool, right? But then again, yeah, India yeah. is a big market and it's very well represented in the pool. So it's yeah, a, yeah it's an interesting kind yeah. of um, you know kind of balancing act here. So I want to thank her for sharing her profile. Um, let's move on though and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So our final entry this week is an apply wire entry as well. Again, a candidate wanting to start school this fall. This candidate has just six schools on the target list, and they are Berkeley, Columbia, Duke, Michigan, UCLA, and UT Austin. This person's been working in energy analytics, and they want to get into tech after business school. The companies that they listed as potential targets are Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and Tesla. Their GRE score is a 322. GPA is a 3.4, and they have four and a half years of work experience to date. They're located in Florida. They would love to land in either New York or the Bay Area after business school. They're going to be applying in the second round. Um, this person mentions that he is a 26-year-old male, Central Asian born, but U.S. raised and has permanent residency. They also provided, he said that um, he went to a top 100 you know, institution in the U.S. where he earned a 3.4, but explained that it was a double major in information systems and economics. And, you know, he talked about how, um, I'm going to find it now, he said that he had to cram units in to finish his double major, and he worked part-time all four years and had several undergraduate leadership positions as well. So he was kind of explaining why his 3.4 is not like a 3.8 or something, um, and is a little concerned about that. The other thing is that he took MBA math um, to sort of solidify his quantitative skills. And he talks about how, you know, basically both of his numbers, GRE and GPA, he's sort of wondering whether they're just sort of too sort of average because um, he has that 322 on the GRE. So Alex, what do you make of this candidate? And, and maybe talk a little bit about where he's from originally. I mean, born in Central Asia, but now, you know, living in, an American, in the U.S. as a permanent resident. What does that do to his candidacy? Yeah, I mean, on the surface, this is an Asian-American. Um, so you would say they're going to be somewhat overrepresented as an Asian-American and so forth. And their numbers are somewhat pedestrian. So you've got a 322 GRE and a 34 GPA um, and, and so forth. So if you took a quick sort of examination of the profile, you might be like a little bit lukewarm on, 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 on this candidate. That said, I think there's some interesting stuff here. Um, they are from Central um, Asia. Um, so as we talked about, you know, like the likes of Kazakhstan or, or, or somewhere around there, which those folks are going to be underrepresented. Right. Um, um, versus, you know, if they were from, from China, for example, or, or other parts of um, Asia. Um, so, so, so there is that. The other thing that I really like about this candidate is it looks like they contribute back to their, um, their communities in terms of others from that region of the world. Um, so the, to the extent that they do that, that's a, 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 a real positive. And I love their long-term goal is to return to their home country, their original home country. Mm -hmm. um, working in sustainable um, um, energy and so forth for that country. And I like that for two reasons. One is, again, it shows commitment to their original communities um, and so forth. That's always very good. Um, but also their likelihood of making an impact is going to be much greater if they go back to Central Asia than it would be if they, you know, were 
went went to Texas or stayed in Florida or wherever they are, right? Mm -hmm. So their potential for impact in the long run is much higher in that regard. So I do really like that. Um, So let's look at some of these data points that are a little bit pedestrian. We've got a 3-4 GPA. Okay, they had to double major. They were, it, it appears to me they're probably a bit of a bootstrapper um, because they had, well, how, how am I inferring that? They worked part-time during college, uh, dur- during university, presumably to pay for university. Um, and they had some leadership roles. So th- there's a fine balance there between taking on too much and having, you know, making sure you balanced it correctly and, 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 and needing, you know, and prioritization and so on and so forth. So, so it'll depend how that sort of plays out. Um, but the 3-4 GPA isn't awful, right? It's just a little bit below the median um, with a double major, with the constraints and, and so on and so forth. So it's not horrible. The, 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 the GRE 322, again, is just a little bit below average. It's good that they've got the 163 on the quant side. It's also good that they took MBA math um, for the reasons that I stated with our you know, prior candidate. It shows two things. One, it's their self-awareness that this is an issue potentially. So you're, they're bolstering that aspect of their profile. But also, um, it will genuinely help them um, in terms of transitioning in, into, into the MBA. Um, so, and I like their extracurriculars. I mean, they're, they're a climber, they do some stuff, but not just that they do it, but they suggest that they have leadership roles in these activities, whatever those leadership roles are. So maybe setting up treks and maybe taking ur- urban folks out to the you know rural areas to do climb, whatever it might be, that could really be a fillet to their their profile um, also. So quite honestly, Graham, I'm of two minds with this candidate. On the surface, nothing really jumps out. But when you start looking under the hood a little bit, there's a lot to like about this candidate. And I I think that their target schools, they're not being overly aggressive and they have a nice spread. Yeah. Um, So I'm, I'm wishing them the best of luck. Yeah, this is an interesting one. And I, you know, I was actually particularly, I didn't talk about it in the overall kind of review here when I introduced them, but, you know, the fact they've been working at a large energy company um, and that they talk about getting into tech, but it's really clean tech and sustainability, right? So um, I should have specified that, but I I think that's why it all fits, you know, with that long-term goal of of helping um, their, you know, their country, well, the, their native country, um, with sustainable energy goals and things. So, yeah, it, you know, the more that you kind of unpack here, and, and even with respect, like you said, they're a longtime backpacker and climber. They've had a lot of leadership within those hobbies, and so, uh, yeah, it seems like a multi-dimensional, really interesting individual um, with you know very clear career plans. The numbers, I mean, gosh, you know, a three four is a pretty good GPA, and it's a double major in info systems and econ. So it's not like um, it was a double major in, you know, basket weaving and, and art history or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, was going to say that, not you. <laughs> I know I can make fun of myself. Um, but anyway, no. So, so I, I feel like, yeah, if you, as you get under the hood, like you said, and you learn more about this candidate, I would think that some of these schools are going to be really excited, um, about this candidacy. And as you say, they have a nice range of, of, you know, kind of from kind of top 16 into sort of top 20, 25. Right. So yeah. I, I feel like they're going to land somewhere. 
I could be wrong, but I, it will require strong execution on the application materials so that they can tell this story. Yeah. But to me, there are a lot of great ingredients here. That, that's how I look at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, and I, I have to think that the, you know, while Asian candidates are overrepresented, in particular like Asian American candidates, I feel like to the extent that they can really underline, you know, that they're from whatever it is, you know, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, you know, one of these countries in Central Asia, that's not, you know, a, as common, um, that will help them to stand out. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the key here is their first gen potentially over here. Um, and, and their long-term goal is to go back over there. Yeah. So to me, that really helps them make that case. Yeah. Agreed. So I want to wish them the best of luck as I would like to do for all three of our candidates today that, that you picked, Alex. Really appreciate you choosing these week in and week out. This was kind of a really interesting group and, um, you know, just in terms of the, the differences in terms of where they're all from and where they're, where they're heading and things in a good range of schools that everyone's targeting too. So appreciate you taking the time to go through all these entries and, and come up with them. Uh, we'll do this all again in one week's time. I guess I'll, we'll record the next one, Alex. I'm going to be somewhere, you know, in America. So we'll, we'll figure that out next week, but I'm um, looking forward to it. Yeah. Have a great trip in America. I'm about to create my first TikTok. <laughs> oh, okay. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll do this all next week then. Very good. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Good luck.